Good morning, everyone, and good morning to all those also who are joining us online. As Grant has so beautifully prayed, I get the wonderful privilege right now of just flowing into this next space. And it's not a jarring disconnect. We're just trusting that we're going to flow into the next space and see what God's going to do that flows on from what he's already begun to do in the beginning of our time together. I get the great privilege this morning of bringing you some final words from the book of 1 Corinthians. We have finally come to the end of this series. Um, I will tell you that you were a lot more um, restrained than at 8 o'clock. There was like a resounding cheer almost that went up from that congregation. And (laughs) and I trust that's been because it's been such a challenging series. And you've just grown so much in your walk with the Lord. But that really is our, our prayers, you know. I know it's been a long journey, but it's been a journey that we've needed to go through. And I think there's some temptations often when we come to like the final chapter of a letter in the New Testament to kind of think, okay, we can just quickly skim read, you know, what can mistakenly seem like a random collection of like final thoughts, status updates, and, you know, a few more goodbyes and everything else. And I will admit to feeling um, some mild concern when I I first looked at this chapter um, as to what form my message would take. You know, was there going to be enough meat to actually even preach on? And the answer is that yes, there really was and there really is. It's a fairly clear and very practical chapter. I think it gives us a a beautiful window into the day-to-day matters of one of the early churches. But Paul's intention in this last portion of his letter is to really land some important truths that gives substance as to what a mature follower of Jesus looks like. Months ago, I had the privilege of unpacking 1 Corinthians 3, where if you remember back then, and good on you if you can, um, there was a milk bottle, a plant, and a brick that came into play with that message. And in that portion of the letter, one of the issues that Paul was addressing was the immaturity in the Lord. And throughout the letter, he's been, you know, teaching the church on their need for maturity in Christ, grounding them in believing the gospel, in knowing the gospel, and in living the gospel. And today I want to read the words of this final chapter, and then just highlight for you four things that God has just laid on my heart to leave with you as a church that I think we can really learn um, from this portion of Scripture. And so we're going to read together final words from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give gifts of instruction to the men that you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and only make a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. 
When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. So four things that I want to leave with you from these final words. And I even managed to use alliteration to hopefully help you to remember these four points, which are some guidelines on giving, um, some motivations for ministry, some feelings about the family, and some words of wisdom to, to leave you with. And first of all, some guidelines on giving. Now, the collection that Paul refers to here was for the believers in Jerusalem. And in several other passages in the New Testament, it speaks of this effort among the different churches to help the poor believers in Jerusalem. And there were a number of reasons why they were struggling. They supported a large number of widows. But there had been a famine that had been engulfing that area, which had, would have had an enormous impact um, as well on the church of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem as a whole was actually not rich, been largely dependent on the generosity of the Jews from outside of Palestine. As you can imagine, Christians could not expect such support as they were often objects of hostility and persecution. And so Paul was really intentional in his travels to remember the needs of his fellow believers back in Jerusalem to the new churches that he was planting and establishing. You know, it just wouldn't do for the Christians to lag behind their Jewish and sometimes even the pagan world and their care for their poor brothers. And there's some very helpful guidelines here that I think are applicable for us to take notice of. And the first one when it comes to a guideline for giving is to be outward looking. Now this special collection, and there does seem to be a sense that this was a extra collection above their regular giving, it reminded the church in Corinth that they were part of God's people beyond just their city. And it was really, it was encouraging the Corinthians to give to Christians that they had never met and to a larger vision, to know that they were part of a larger vision, something so much larger than just their local congregation. 
And so it was a real move of solidarity on the parts of the Gentile churches towards what was, in a sense, you know, the mother church from which everything had started. And this offering would have been an opportunity to draw the Gentile and Jewish Christians together and to develop a bond of unity. I think it's a great reminder for us as a local church to always be outward looking in our giving and to be reminded of the larger vision of God at work in our world. Participating in an offering, either as a giver or as a recipient, is something very beautiful that does create a bond between people. And people who give with intention, they, they do intend to grow in their love for the cause which they have given to and I wish that you all had the opportunity that some of us get to see the response and to see the work that is accomplished because of your generous outward giving to the cause of Christ beyond our community. Whether it's in the lives of believers in Capricorn, which we have a beautiful relationship, or with in Kailicha at Harari Baptist Church, or even brothers and sisters who've been impacted by an earthquake in Turkey. But something moves in our hearts when we are free with our gifts of love. And it can result in building a community and mutuality across cultural, racial, and economic lines. And we need to be reminded to look beyond our small day-to-day world and even our local congregation when it comes to our giving. Be outward-looking. And then practically, it says, be regular. You know, Paul wanted their giving to be systematic and and not just haphazard. There was a sense that there was going to be planning and and foresight into this giving. A a coming to church with a gift that you had already prepared. Not just this like knee-jerk reaction and response to an appeal that had little thought, but it was an intentional choice to give consistently. And as I said, would have required planning and intentionality on the part of the giver. And when we give regularly, it becomes part of our DNA, part of who we are, a healthy habit that we cultivate as followers of Jesus. Be regular in your giving. Another guideline is to be worshipful. This giving was to be part of their worship experience. When they came together for worship and the word, They were then to receive this offering at the same time. And it was a reminder that their giving was a part of their worship unto the Lord. Now, for practical and safety reasons, we removed a physical offering of a bag being passed around when we gather as a community. And in this day and age, most things have moved online. And so from a practical perspective, giving here is mostly done via EFT or SnapScan. But once a month on our Community Sunday, we've made the decision to actually always remind you of our offering for the sole purpose of wanting to ensure that we always land our giving in this space of worship, of being worshipful. And for younger generations growing up here to know that giving as unto the Lord is part of our worship to the Lord. So be worshipful in your giving. The other practical guideline is to be generous. Paul described this offering as a gift, which stresses that whole sense of being generous in their giving. And he leaves the actual amount up to the conscience of each person. And the only guideline they were given was that their giving 
should be proportionate. In other words, the believer who had more should give more. There are two proverbs that I think speak some wise word, words into the subject of giving generously. And it comes from Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Be generous in your giving. A third guideline there is to, we need to be inclusive. In other words, everyone was to be a part of this giving, whether they had little or whether they had much to give. No matter their age, no matter their gender, no matter their education, their level of wealth, whether they were a slave or a free man, everyone who was part of the body of believers was to take part in this offering. And the only guideline, as I said, was that giving was to be in line with their ability to give. And so by allowing everybody to be a part of this offering, each discerning privately before the Lord what they would contribute, it removed any sense of competition or status building between the members of the church there. And it put everybody on an equal footing. And it's something that the Corinthian believers really, really needed to know. Giving is for every believer. And then the last practical point there, a guideline to giving, is that we must be accountable. Paul wanted a, a representative from the Christians in Corinth to help deliver this gift to the Jerusalem church. And he would then send out a letter of commendation with these men. And he wanted them to choose their own representative so that he could be you know, above reproach in these financial matters. He was the one arranging the collection, yes, but he didn't plan to touch that money in person. The Corinthian believers would raise it. They would keep it until Paul came, and then they would send it by messengers of their own choosing. And I think the practical principle for us to take from that is just to be accountable and to show careful administration of all the finances that pass through our hands. And I want to take this opportunity just to thank Dylan Wyman, our church treasurer, and Erna Lotta, our bookkeeper, for the integrity and the wise management that they bring to our church finances. Guidelines in giving. Be outward looking. Be a regular giver. Be a worshipful giver. Be a generous giver. Be accountable and a person of integrity with your giving. And giving is for us all. Then the second point I wanted to share about was motivations for ministry. You know, when Paul was sharing his ministry plans with the Corinthians, he uses this caveat, if the Lord permits. And it's a short point that I want to make, but I one that I do think we need to take note of. Um, you know, I think that we are a church that, that plans well, but it's important for us to remember that sometimes things need to happen differently to what we have planned. And we need to be very intentional about discerning where the Spirit is leading us and what God is saying to us. And not just rush ahead stubbornly in our, our human planning. And, you know, that is true for endeavors we might do together, but it's also true of what happens in this space when we gather as a community. 
And may we continue growing in this area of spiritual discernment so that in all our endeavors for the Lord, even in our times together, where yes, there's been a lot of planning that's gone into it, we want to have this real sense of in this moment being directed by the Spirit and only going where the Lord permits us to go. Recognizing, as Paul did as well, that opposition often accompanies opportunities and can be a side that God is very much at work, not that work needs to stop. I'm going to end this point with a quote from a commentary by G. Morgan that states, you know, we have the fascination of having a program and having everything in order and knowing where we are going. But let us leave room at any rate for the interference of God. And we do want to be a body that is so open to the interference of God at every turn. Then the third point is some feelings about family. Now, throughout this letter, we've seen Paul, that they've been reading, you know, Paul has been challenging the Corinthians around their divisions between each other, their disordered worship as part of that. And one of the ways he addressed this was speaking the truth, yes. But also another way was to draw near to them. We see Paul's heart here to really want to spend time with these believers and to resource them with people who were dear to him because they were dear to him as a family. The church is a family. And many of the challenges and divisions that we have with other people can be addressed by spending time with them and by sharing life together. And you will not always get along with every person in the church family, just as you don't necessarily get along with anyone in your family at home. But shared time and shared experiences do grow our love for one another. And I think there ought to be relationships in the life of every follower of Jesus that actually might look strange to a watching world because they might not be the norm. There might be people who are not natural fits for you or might even be, you know, unusual and actually maybe hard work to be friends with. But those are the relationships we need to see in the life of every one of us as followers of Jesus because we are both connected to Jesus and also growing in unity and connection with each other as brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, Paul, he, he plans on visiting the church in person, and he hopes to spend a lot of time with them, maybe even the entire winter. But he's also sending them some special people to him, Timothy being one of them. And he's also reached out to Apollos and encouraged him to go and visit Corinth as well. Now, just two comments about these two gentlemen. First of all, in regards to Apollos, if you remember back to the beginning of the letter, um, the Corinthians were actually divided in their factions around Paul Apollos and Peter. And this is Paul's way in mentioning it as he does here, further bringing home the points to the Corinthians regarding his attitude towards Apollos. And that attitude was that we are not divided here, but we are fellow workers together. And also, this is not a hierarchical relationship that Paul had with Apollos, where he could dictate his will to him and demand that he go to Corinth as they wanted. He's saying, no, 
Paulus takes responsibility for his choices in this matter too. I can encourage him in this space, but I don't have any responsibility for his decisions here too. We work together in the gospel in this way. And then when it comes to Timothy, he's again challenging the Corinthians' attitude around prestige and having the right credentials before they would accept someone. The Corinthians didn't always look at the person and what God was doing in that person. They preferred having powerful speakers or people who had just the right influence and credentials and CV before they would open their hearts to them. Now, we first introduced to Timothy in Acts 16, and we see this father-son relationship developing between him and Paul. Paul writes Timothy two letters around what it means to be a pastor. And it seems from these letters that Timothy did suffer a bit from a, a lack of confidence. He was relatively young and inexperienced, a biracial Jew and Gentile. For some people, a nobody compared to Paul, Apollos, or Peter. But Paul reminds the Corinthians that Timothy is doing the Lord's work and they should not despise him for any perceived lack, but treat him with respect when he comes and is challenging them to move beyond ranking one another or picking favorites, but instead to look at how the Lord was at work in that person. And I think there are parallel lessons for us today as well. Let us move beyond ranking one another in importance and instead, look to see the many ways that God is at work in all of our lives. Let's be those who encourage one another and call out all the gifts and beauty in one another for the glory of God and for the good of his kingdom. Paul also calls out some men for special recognition and he commends the example to the church. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus were the, the three men who had, you know, brought the questions from the Corinthians to Paul. And as Paul sends them back now with this letter, he asks that they be received as devoted servants of the Lord. Now, apparently, Steph, Stephanus was the head of that household, and it was this household that was actually one of the very first to be saved in that region and to be baptized by Paul. Fortunatus and Achaicus might even have been two household slaves or former slaves of his. But he was the first to place his faith in Jesus, and he's now held up as an example of Christian maturity. And note the character quality that Paul calls out specifically. He said, this household is known for being devoted to serving the saints, and that they were refreshing people to be around. They weren't necessarily high up in leadership, but they devoted themselves to serving the saints, and they were refreshing people to be around. Some verses actually translate this as they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you need to submit to people such as this, and everyone who joins in the work of the Lord and labors at it. I was interested to find that John Bunyan, who wrote that Christian classic, Pilgrim's Progress, he was from the 17th century, a lay, a lay pastor and an author there. But this man, who we, so many of you know about that classic Pilgrim's Progress, he found encouragement from this verse, verse 15. And in fact, it was the verse that confirmed his own calling into ministry. And he perhaps would have read it a bit more like this. I beseech you, brethren... 
You know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And John Bunyan, he wrote these words. He said, by this text, I was made to see that the Holy Ghost never intended that men who have gifts and abilities should bury them in the earth, but rather did command and stir up such to the exercise of their gift. And also did commend those who were apt and ready so to do. May we all be challenged to look for opportunities to serve and to love others, rather than seeking people to serve us, so that we also can be known as refreshing people to be around. And then finally we land on those words of wisdom found in verse 13. And I think there are some incredible words of wisdom and truth to hold on to here. And five of them, in fact, that I want to draw your attention to. The first one was, be on your guard. It's the call for us to be alert. The word translated, be on your guard here, it's it's watch. Um, it can also be used in the physical sense to be awake um, as opposed to being asleep. And we are to wake up and to be alert spiritually. Our enemy, Satan, the prince of this age, is going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to destroy you, to destroy your relationships, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your family. He wants your very soul. Do not be apathetic or naive to the very real spiritual battles that are going on around us in the unseen realms. We cannot afford to be running around in ignorance. Otherwise, we will become victims of every false human philosophy and come under the power of the things of this world that are opposed to the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. We need to wake up spiritually and to be on our guard. We cannot afford to be apathetic too to the vices and sins that remain in our own lives. Can I say that when you get to a place where you are comfortable with your sin and don't feel the need to acknowledge it and deal with it through repentance, then that is a very dangerous place for you to be. Be on your guard against indifference and against apathy. We need to be on our guard against the schemes of the enemy and we also need to be on our guard against temptation. To be on our guard against the things that would seek to harm us, to hurt us, and ultimately to destroy us. Jesus said in Mark 14, 38 to his disciples, and I think they're words for us to watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Be on your guard. And Paul has warned this church as well about false teachers. And, and more than ever in this day and age, we need to be reminded to be on our guard against false teachers and false doctrine. The word of God is our manual for truth, not the sages of this age. The next word of wisdom there is to stand firm in the faith. We to stand firm in the faith by holding on to the word of God holding on to the truths of the gospel that we proclaim, God's revelation is what we hold on to rather than human wisdom. We stand firm in the faith when we are grounded in Christ. And I want to share a few more scriptures that speak to this standing firm in the faith. 
from Philippians 1, 27, and it'll be there, but I'm going to read it out. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And later on in Philippians, in chapter 3, verse 17 forward, it says, Join with others in following my example, brothers. Take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. For as I have told you often before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables them to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In Colossians 4 verse 12, we are told about Epaphras, one of the servants of God who from Colossae, and he wrestled and prayed for his church, for the church. And his prayer was this. His prayer was that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. And I believe it's a beautiful prayer for us to be praying for one another as well too. May we wrestle in prayer for our church family too. And may that be our prayer, that we would all stand firm in all of the will of God, mature and fully assured, despite the opposition that is absolutely barreling for us from the world. And then the third thing in that word of wisdom was be courageous. Now, actually, the Greek word translated here in the NIV as be courageous, it's an interesting word. It's appearing only here in the New Testament. And the New American Standard Bible, it actually translates it as act like men. And the King James, it says, be brave. So it has this sense of courage, but it's also used in reference to maturity. You know, a a mature person tends to be courageous, whereas, you know, a child is perhaps a bit more fearful. And essentially what Paul is saying here is you should be responsible, grown up, and mature. In your conduct, you should act like men, not children. It's time to grow up. Be courageous in maturity. Be strong is the fourth word of wisdom that comes to us here. It is the only passive form verb in the text, which means that it should be understood as be strengthened or be made strong. And I think that is something very important to note because we cannot strengthen ourselves. Our strength as believers is something that we derive from God. It's something that the Lord has to do. And Paul said in Ephesians 6 verse 10, he said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 1, he said, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
Who is the one that gives us strength? We are strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in our inner being. Have you yielded your life to the Lord and allowed his strength to become your strength? I know it's a challenge for us all. And I stand first in the queue of having to be challenged in that space. And we all need to learn to be made strong in him rather than running ahead in our own limited human strength. And then finally, he says, do everything in love. That's the most important thing to do because it balances everything out. It's been the theme of the letter, and Joe gave us some great input on this when she preached on chapter 13. Let everything you do be done in love. And what does love do? Love is not a feeling. Love is an act of service. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And how did he love? He showed his love by serving. He washed his disciples' feet. And he showed his love by giving his life for each one of us. And that is the love that we get the privilege of showing to a watching world. Love one another as I have loved you. Love's the final word, actually, in this letter. The last word there's my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. And if we're honest, we have to say that this has been a, a hard letter to have read. It deals with the good, the bad, and the ugly in the church at Corinth. Things that needed to be addressed and things that needed to be challenged. And Paul closed that letter by making sure that they knew that all of those hard words that were shared were shared because he loved them. And even if they had been doing wrong, and even if they needed correction, they remain his dear brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think this is something so pertinent for all of us to take notes of here today as well. May that be the nature of the relationships that we get to experience and enjoy together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Nothing can separate us from his love. But may people also be able to say that nothing can separate us either from each other's love. We've had many years of doing life together. And some of you here have been journeying together for decades. And that's um, part of that journey as well. And I think something deeply beautiful and accountable and powerful happens in relationships when you stick together and you stay together for the journey. And as on any journey, there are going to be high points and there are going to be low points. And we have had opportunities to celebrate together. But we've also had opportunities to cry together. We've had to opportunities to praise and to pray. But there's also been times that we've had to disagree and to discipline. But we get to forgive and to mature. And no matter where the journey takes us, we get to do everything in love. And so these are the words we close this letter on. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Take courage and be mature. Be strengthened in the Lord. And do everything in love. 
And I want to just give us a few moments of silence just to ponder as we come to the end of this journey what God has been saying to you. Either through the journey through Corinthians or perhaps even this morning. Has there been something around guidelines to giving that might have been a challenge to you? Have you been challenged about our motivations for for doing ministry and that deep sensitivity we need to have to the Spirit's work in our life? Have you been challenged around some of those feelings about family and perhaps some of your own attitudes to others within the body? Um, or have there been some of these words of wisdom that have really struck a chord with you and that you're feeling challenged by? So we're going to take some moments of just quiet and silence to give the Spirit space and room to speak to each one of us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up on stage quietly behind me and they can also stand here in silence for a while. But then I want to end that time by just praying for us and then we're going to close our time together as the Lord leads us. But let's just take some moments to be still and to listen. Lord and Father, we want to thank you so much for the privilege of being your children and having ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us as a church and also personally as part of your church. Father, we come to you as the one who is holy and above it all. We come in fresh submission before you saying, we need you, Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you to radiate into those dark spaces where we have hidden in the dark. We need your light in every crevice of our lives, Lord. Because we want to be those who stand firm in our faith. We want to be those who are awake spiritually to what is happening. We want to be so alert to these times and what is happening in these times and not to miss what you are saying or get lost along the way. So, Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would just touch us and you in afresh. 
that you would illuminate every area of our life to your grace and your light and your truth. Bring us to our knees where we need to fall in confession before you. That we could stand up again and just fully look to you in praise with nothing hindering our relationship with you. We come together as your family to worship you, King of kings and Lord of lords. We want to be those who continuing the work of Jesus in this place where you have placed us. Lord, empower us, strengthen us. We only can do things in the strength that you give us, and we want to acknowledge that we are nothing without you. And so we want to stand now, Lord, and just proclaim our praise to roar out that truth that you are holy, holy, holy. There is none like you. We want to thank you, God, that your name is the highest, that your name is the greatest, that all thrones and dominions, all powers and positions, your name stands above them all. We want to thank you that we can be forgiven by you. We want to thank you that we can be redeemed by you. And we come as the forgiven, we come as the redeemed to sing right now to the Lamb. Thank you, Lord.